Worried that you don't fit the traditional mold for a medical student? You can learn how to take advantage of that distinction at AMSA's Pre-Med Fest in Florida on January 30th. Early bird registration closes soon. For more information, visit amsapremedfest.org. Stories are great for connecting people. We learn not only about the speaker, but have an opportunity to reflect on our own experiences. Welcome to AMSA AdLib. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. At a meeting of AMSA's Board of Trustees last fall, Perry Tsai hosted a small story slam over dinner, which we recorded for AMSA AdLib. Today, we present one of those stories from that night. Here's Perry. So, welcome to the AMSA Board of Trustees September 2015 meeting story slam, or as I'm calling it, the story slim, because this is a lot smaller than other story slams that I've been to. Um, so we're here to share stories. And uh, stories are this really great way for us to learn from each other, to learn about each other. Um, they're a great way for us to connect person to person and then find the things in our lives that we share in common, but also find those peculiar things that are different or interesting or novel. The theme of tonight's event is waiting room, stories over time. We spend a lot of our lives waiting, right? Um, you wait in line for coffee, you were waiting for the bus, you're waiting for the vacation to get here, you're waiting for the week to be over, um, you're waiting for that school that you applied to to get back to, you're waiting for that day when you walk across the graduation stage. But let's be honest, we hate waiting. Waiting is the worst. Um, and we always want things right now. We want to cut to the chase. We want to get the information, the results, the action, like delivered to our face. Um, but we're medical trainees. We signed up to go to medical school for four years or more. Um, we signed up to do this on top of four years of college and then three, four, seven years of residency training. Um, and y'all know me, I'm an MD-PhD, so I definitely know what waiting is like. Um, the stories you'll hear tonight are about waiting. Um, the stories are stories about detours that life has taken them along the way. Now, these detours aren't for nothing. They taught them things, they pushed them along, and they turned them into the people that they are today. Um, and so what you'll hear from them is how a little bit of waiting um, has brought them here to tell us their story. This will be Joey Johnson, who is AMSA's student editor for The New Physician, and the title of his story is Minority Report. Love that title there. <laughs> Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to you and tell you a little bit about myself, and hopefully it'll keep you entertained for a little bit. <laughs> so I grew up in a small town, Cedartown, Georgia. It's a small little city, one of four, situated in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, there in northwest Georgia. For the whole county of the four cities and the two communities, it's less than 18,000 people. So um, needless to say, we don't have much to brag about. So if you come to Cedartown, you'll learn very quickly that the voice of Winnie the Pooh, yeah, he was born there. <laughs> we have a museum down, downtown to prove it. So um, life there, well, on Friday nights when it wasn't football season, it consisted of riding back and forth up and down Main Street, hollering out the window of your 4x4 at your friends that you saw, and um, 
meeting at the Waffle House, and when that wasn't going on, then maybe going out to a cornfield and turning your headlights on and dancing out there and <laughs> playing music. And yeah, that was, that was Cedartown life right there. <laughs> oh, oh, and regardless of age, race, creed, sex, gender, whatever, every year, you can bet your sweet behind you'd be at the annual county fair. <laughs> so um, success, the definition of success was a little bit different than we tend to think of it. Um, success consisted of either working at one of the three local factories, or if you were smart enough, you went off, went to college, became a teacher, and came back and taught. And so um, I had a little bit different plans for myself. See, in eighth grade, I knew I wanted to be a physician. And one of my daddy's friends gave me a book called Gifted Hands. Now, politics aside, again, politics aside, oh, Ben Carson had a lot in common with myself. And it kind of struck me. His mom was illiterate. Well, my mom can't read or write. Um, he had to overcome some circumstances. He had some anger issues. So there was a lot that kind of, you know, went on. He was black, I'm black. Um, that's probably the most obvious one. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, um, I got to looking around and I said, you know, there's not, there really aren't any physicians around. And for the next three counties, there really weren't many. In fact, my wife and I both, neither one of us had a family physician until we got married, had a kid, and I had insurance. I didn't have a dentist either until I got married, had a kid, and had <laughs> insurance. So that's kind of the life that you live. And so I said, I don't want to just be a physician, though. I want to come back and be an active physician. I want to go into the high schools and I want to talk to the students not only about the importance of having health care but also about how you can become a physician also. So we'll hold that thought. So I graduated high school and I met my wife at the county fair. <laughs> Literally, true story. So we got married, we had a child and dreams of being a physician electively faded into the back of my mind because I needed to have a good job and support my family. So I got hired at one of the local factories, the one where my daddy worked and my uncle worked. And um, within a year, I was quite successful. At 22, I was the youngest supervisor they had. Then my wife wanted to go and kind of shake things up a bit. See, she was in school en route to being a nurse because she was the first to graduate high school in her family. So that was a big thing, and now she was actually in college on her way to be a nurse, and she told me she wanted me to go back to school too. And I told her, you know, I'm making $40,000 a year. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, I mean, this kind of money, you want me to leave this? I mean, come on, you know. But uh, as they say in the South, if man's the head of the household, then woman's the neck and knows how to turn the head whichever <laughs> way she wants to. <laughs> so she got me into it. Um, she told me she thought I was just scared that I couldn't beat her on the entrance exam. So I showed her. I beat her. But maybe she showed me in the end because I was also hooked now and said, well, heck, I might as well, you know. I've done set foot on campus. And so I went ahead and I started working third shift then, and I would go to school from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And, of course, we had her kid as well, and she was going to school. And so we made it work. I worked, you know, we, needless to say, went on very little sleep. All the parents know how that is. And after a year, I still had doubts that I could make it to be a physician. In fact, one of the things that kept me going is because I kept waiting for that class that I would fail so I could tell her, see, I told you, 
and go right back and work at the factory full time. But I ended up acing all of my courses. And then I got to thinking, you know, this money I'm getting to go to school, I've got to pay it back. So, shoot, I might as well do the best I can, you know? <laughs> so I went ahead and took the plunge, and I enrolled in school full-time, and I started working part-time jobs then. Um, in fact, at one point, I actually held three part-time jobs while going to school 18 to 22 hours for a semester just to try to get done as much as I could because um, I got tired of waiting. I was out of, you know, after high school, I was out for five years. Now I'm back in school. Sometimes I wondered, you know, what the heck am I doing? And so I continued on, and the end result was I got into the top medical schools I had on my list. Hooray, you know, right? Like, it's, you know, it's time to go. It's, let's go. And then the feeling hit, and reality hit, and I thought, how in the world am I going to move my family? away from little Cedartown, Georgia, to go somewhere else. And I realized it wasn't an option. I had to defer entry for at least a year. So then it was back to the drawing board. I got to looking at different jobs that I could get into. So I applied for, goodness, during that month, everything. Construction worker, um, a ranch hand, a farmer. <laughs> I think I applied for a beekeeper. <laughs> I know for a fact uh, I was hired at the local McDonald's, and so I was going to take that job, but then I get this phone call. And so I pick it up, hello? And on the other end, it's a familiar voice. It's Todd. Now, see, I know Todd from, from back before. When I first started at the community college, Todd himself was um, an admissions worker. And he helped me get everything together, and we had become friends, and he had seen what I'd been through, and now here he was, the dean of the campus at the school. And so he says, Joey, you know, I saw your name in an application pool. Are you still interested in working here? I was like, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> and so he hired me on as the recruiter. Now, this was very significant for me because I now had a job after I was accepted into medical school to where I would actually go to the high schools in my area and talk to the kids about going to college themselves and the importance of health care. So this was like a fulfillment for me. And shortly after having that job, I also took on another position as the Minority Achievement Counselor. Well, as, as I went out and I talked to students out in the community and the high schools and also the students there at college, I realized some very familiar phrases. Whenever I talked to them about what their dreams were, I frequently heard, you know, I can't, you know, it'd be cool to be a nurse, but I can't do that. Nobody in my family has money. I can't go to school. Or people saying, you know, I'm, I'm just going to work at the factory like anyone else. You know, you might as well not even talk to me about all of that. You know, I got to make a living or things like people like us can't be doctors. Who do you notice a doctor that looks like us? And so it disheartened me a little bit because I saw myself in them, obviously. But it was just what I needed to come up with an idea. And I thought, I've got the fix. So I went home. And uh, no, I wasn't going to take them to the county fair to get a wife <laughs> as persistent as me, as I had found. But um, what I did do was I called the director of admissions over at Morehouse School of Medicine. And I had met him along the way because he was in a different position. He was a minority counselor at another medical school where I had gotten accepted, and now he was director of admissions here. And so it was a nice 
you know, reunite, reuniting party between he and I. And um, I asked him, hey, can I bring a group of minority students up there to see you? And I told him the situation. He said, well, of course. So we took a bus, bust him up there to school, paid for everything that I was working at. And he gave them the red carpet treatment. And you could see the proverbial glass shattering from above their heads. You know, they saw people that looked like them, also people that were so diverse, you know, different cultures, ethnicities, folks who had had it harder than they had, immigrants, people with families, single moms, people that were traditional students. And you could just see them like, oh, wow. You know, I didn't know this existed. And so I stand here tonight, like I said, happy that you guys would listen to me and allow me to speak to you about my story, and also to report three things. Number one is that I'm in my third year of medical school, about to be an actual physician and have titles behind my name, besides the three eyes, because I am the third. Number two is that two of the students that went on that trip with me got accepted to Morehouse School of Medicine. One of them is in the same year as I am because, of course, I deferred a year. The other is a year behind me. And number three, that I've signed a contract with a county less than an hour away from my hometown. So when I do go back to practice as a physician, I will also get to revisit those same high schools that I did as a, as a recruiter and a minority achievement counselor, only this time as an actual physician and fulfill my dream, fulfill my dream that I've had since back in eighth grade. Thank you. Are you interested in sharing your story live before a friendly audience? There will be a storytelling session at AMSA's annual convention, held March 31st through April 3rd, and we'd love to have you join us. Watch for more details to come. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Pete Thompson and myself with help from Carol Clark. Special thanks to Perry Tai and AMSA's Board of Trustees for letting us listen in. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer and Dr. Deborah Hall is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for listening. AMSA Pre-Med Fest will not look, feel, or sound like any other pre-med conference because it is not a conference. Join us in Plant City, Florida on January 30th and spend time with Patch Adams, our Master of Ceremonies, as he helps you discover the thrill of helping others. Early bird registration closes January 10th. For more information, visit amsapremedfest.org.